Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in. I mean, isn't this amazing, the guests we have on this show? It blows my mind. Um, I'm just so grateful for the people who are willing to come here and be vulnerable and share their struggles and share their triumphs. It's beautiful, and your guys' support has made this possible. I'd like to get a shout-out to our sponsors, Siegfried & Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, iHill Institute, and Veracity Networks. Thanks for believing in me. And because of your support, you're allowing this to get out to many more uh, ears to hear these amazing stories. And, you know, we've had some amazing guests on, and today's going to be no different. I say that all the time, but I'm not kidding you. It's like week after week. And today we are joined by Travis Whitaker. Travis, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Todd, for having me. It's a yeah. pleasure. Twelve Over 12 years clean and sober. Yeah, Congratulations. 12, yeah, 12 years, my uh, my sobriety <laughs> date. I'll have 13 years on 420. Congratulations. Yeah. That is so awesome. I love that. Well, a little background on Travis. Um, like we said, he's been sober over 12 years, coming up on his 13th year. Uh, he's the father to three amazing kids. He's been married to his beautiful wife for 27 years. That's an accomplishment right there, too. That's beautiful. I'll tell you, she, she's a saint. <laughs> she's a saint. She's a saint. Yeah. Um, so a little, ba- a little bit more. Um, Travis has worked in the treatment industry for over eight years in a variety of different positions with treatment facilities all across the country. Besides his new role, uh, currently as president of business development at Akasha Recovery, he is also a nationally certified interventionist. And we're going to talk more about that. I can't wait to, to have our listeners learn more about what that is. Uh, Travis runs a popular Facebook page called Car Talk with Travis. He and his guests share inspirational messages, and I've watched those. They're, 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 off, they're funny, but then they're real, and then they're inspiring, and then you, you cry in one moment, and then you're, you know, it's, it's awesome. I love how it's so real. Um, and then um, you're also a board member of 10,000 Beds, a nonprofit organization who provides scholarships to addicts without the means to pay for treatment. And again, we're going to talk a lot more about these things, but again, thanks for joining us, Travis. So what, uh, why don't we start with, where did you grow up and tell us a little bit about your family? Yeah, I grew up in West Point, Utah. Okay. I uh, went to Clearfield High. Clearfield. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, Falcons. The Falcons, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I grew up out there and it was just a different time. You know, as you know, you know, we, we did a lot of riding bikes and a lot of sports and a lot of farm work. And so it was, it was a good, a good way to get a, you know, solid foundation growing up. Yeah. I had really good friends. Um, you know, I, I think... I suffered from uh, a lot of childhood trauma that led into my adult addiction. Okay. And a lot of that was based off of, uh, you know, my mom was married several times, alcoholic guys, Mm, um, you know, men in and out of the house, you know, and so um, I'd get in fights with them and it just, you know, growing up like that, you almost, when you're that age and you're in that position, you almost think that it's just normal. Yeah. Because you don't know any different. No. Right. It's just been your, yeah. yeah. I didn't know it was going to affect me when I got older and got married and had kids, yeah. you know. And, you know, my, my real father, um, basketball player, he was a big guy, 6'9", you know, 300 pounds. He gave Jeez. me up for adoption when I was four to one of my to my mom's new husband. Okay. 
Um, and then, you know, I had a complete name change and he actually gave me, I say sold me. I, 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 I use that word because okay. he, he took $4,000 for me and was gone. Oh, wow. You know? And so, um, you know, I was born Carter and then my name with last name was changed to Nunley. And now it's Whitaker because I changed it when I got married. Oh, really? Yeah. I wasn't going to carry that name on. So as a, I mean, that's, that's heavy stuff you just shared right there. So, I mean, so did you feel that weight of that? Did you feel sad as a kid growing up knowing this or did it come later? Um, you know, did it affect you at all when you were going through it, it at did. the moment? It did. It, you know, it bothered me a lot because you would see other families and it, it was different. Like I was home alone by myself, pretty much raising myself, oh, you man. know, doing all the yard work and doing everything. And I'm an only child, you know? So, but I, I, I you know, I had good friends, um, that took me in and, uh, you know, my best friend, Matt and his parents took me in. His dad was our basketball coach. He was there. Okay. So I had that, that father figure there, mm -hmm. which is, I'm um, extremely grateful for and yeah. still very close to my family now. Like him and I have been friends. I, I think about 40 years. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's great that people step up right when you need it the most. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, very tough as a child going through, watching your mom go through relationships and, mm -hmm. you know, and trying to fight for, I mean, you're like the man of the house as a young kid trying to figure things out. Yeah. And a lot of alcohol, you know, back okay. then, you know, when my stepdad, it was, it was normal to be drinking a, a Coors and driving. Right. That's in the eighties. It just, it's, oh yeah. No Open seat containers belts. didn't yeah. matter. Yeah. No seatbelts. Yeah. yeah. I remember just, those days. Yeah, yeah. Just a different time. <laughs> yeah. Now you can't ride in the back of a pickup truck or you get arrested. Yeah. yeah. What do you do? What did I do wrong? You yeah. can't ride back there. Yeah. You know? Or your dogs can't ride. Yeah. Dogs can't ride back there either. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting times. So, you know, I know you got an amazing story. You've, sh you've shared a lot. You've helped thousands and thousands of people with just because of what you've been through, which is fantastic. That's why I love having people who have been through something like what you've been through to come share. So did you start? you know, drinking yourself at a young age, you know, maybe start from there and then kind of just share how this led into your, your addiction and where that led you. You know, I didn't really, no, no. I, you know, I saw so much with alcohol. I told myself, I just not even interested. Okay. So I went the other direction. I was all sports, soccer, baseball, and basketball. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a really good baseball player. And then one summer I grew like six inches Oh, wow. And so I went more one direction to basketball. To basketball, okay. And that was, I like to tell people, I always felt like everything I got attached to or that I loved left my life. Hmm. You know? So yeah. if I got somebody that I liked, they were gone. If my mom had somebody, they were gone. I just always felt like that, you know? She had three jobs. She was always gone. Basketball, the way I tell people the attachment I had, you dribble it, it comes back. Oh, wow. You dribble yeah. it, it comes back. So it was one part of my life that I could always focus on no matter where I was at in a mental state. I would go to the park, play basketball. And it was my my outlet, you know? And it became to where I just, that's all I ever did. Yeah. You know, I just played basketball. Yeah, I can relate with that. Basketball was my passion growing up as yeah. well. And yeah, when, I, when I'd step on that court, it's just you, you kind of could leave some of your problems behind and... Yeah, it felt like a good old friend, right? Yeah, it yeah. felt like, you know, <clears throat> you get that, you know, I would say just euphoric feeling. Yeah. When you when you hit a three or you do oh, whatever yeah. and you're just yeah. like, and it, it just, it helped me, I think, just mature. 
sure. as a man. Like it, yeah. was a, it was a good thing for me. Yeah, you learn a lot, a lot of life lessons playing sports. Yeah. You know, confidence, believing in yourself, that kind of thing. Adversity, how do you handle it, that yeah. kind of stuff. And so, so you go through high school doing these things. So what, you know, what led to your addiction and what, you know, maybe start there and kind of what happened. And, you know, again, yeah. your story is incredible. And I'm just, yeah, I want you to tell it, obviously. So, you know, I moved uh, from West Point after I graduated in 89 and uh, moved out to Salt Lake. And still just playing basketball, trying to find my way, got a job, you know. Um, right about time I turned 21, I believe I was playing in a church because, um, you know, I had friends, always had friends, had keys. And right, yeah. That's always where you seem to get hurt. I, isn't that true? Yeah. <laughs> playing church ball. Playing church ball. The brawl that starts with a prayer. Right. <laughs> so I was I was on a fast break going up for a dunk, and a, a kid that just didn't have a lot of coordination yeah. took my legs out. I landed on my tailbone, and I fractured my L4, L5 oh, discs. Wow. And uh, my friends thought I blew my knee out, but it was my, my back they heard that pop sound from. Oh, jeez. But I just dealt with it for a few years after, too. Ibuprofen, I continued to play tried to stretch. It was just that all the time, like soreness, yeah. just deep tissue. It just hurt really bad all the time. Yeah, wow. And uh, during that time, um, I was playing in the Pro-Am Leagues here, and I had an opportunity mm. to go uh, play for the Yakima Sun Kings, which was a developmental team back in the day Yeah. Um, for the CBA. And so that was floating around, and I had just met my wife, right? And uh, still playing ball, doing all this other stuff, yeah. really not knowing the direction I should be going. Yeah, right. And during those times, I think I drank a few times here or there with friends. It was something that I was very cautious about. Yeah. With the alcohol growing up, I did not want it to, you right. know, come into my life and take over. So about the age of 22, uh, we get married and a beautiful wife has insurance. So I'm like, you know, this pain is just getting out of control. Yeah. I'm going to go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, let's do this. Let me give you some uh, lower tab. Mm. We'll give you, you know, take two every four hours. It should help with the pain. I'm like, okay. And sure enough, it's, it's helping. Right. Yeah. But then the issue is it's, I go back, I need more. And then it's four a day. Yeah. And then it's six a day. And then, you know, during those times I'm playing basketball, we get pregnant, you know, I thought my dreams were to go on and play pro basketball and do all this other stuff, right? Yeah. Probably wasn't good enough, but that was my dream. Yeah, sure. So that was what I thought I was meant to do. That was my identity all growing up. Yeah. So go to the doctor. It's to get on the, the pills. Um, my wife, we become pregnant. And then I realize, you know what? It's I've got to find a good job. And we start building the house and all this stuff. And then in about 19, I want to say 95-ish, um, I go to the doctor. I'm like, this just isn't working anymore. Yeah. And he goes, there's this amazing medication that just came out for cancer patients. That's extended release that I think is going to help you. And that's the first time I got prescribed Oxycontin. Wow. Oxycontin forties, one a day. Wow. Yeah. And you know what? That's when it was that feeling of, wow, yeah. I have no pain. I have clarity. And I felt like I could do anything. Yeah. And I, at that point is when I, I believe I was extremely addicted then. You know, it's interesting as you hear, you know, as you're sharing your story here really quick, 
And I think people who have been through addiction can relate. It's like you've been in pain constantly for a long, 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 long mm-hmm. time. And then all of a sudden you take this Oxycontin that you're talking about. And like you said, all of a sudden it's gone. And no wonder people go, you know what? I want more of this because I don't want to feel what I was feeling for right. years. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, us being tall, I'm yep. tall in my torso. So yeah. everywhere I bend, yeah. my lower back, it's, yeah. you know, getting in and out of a car, just yeah. those things become difficult. Getting out of bed, yeah. difficult. It's almost like I'd have to get into the shower and have the hot water hit my back to warm it up. Yeah, to warm right? it up, yeah. Um, wow. So, you know, Oxycontin, I'm like, great. You know, the copay with insurance is cheap. Well, cancer patients, it must be great. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I'm taking that for a few years. And during the, fir- I would say during the first four or five years of my addiction, I am have somewhat a little bit of control and I'm following directions, yeah, right. you know. Yeah. I'm still, you know, showing up for my family. I'm showing up to work. Like mm-hmm. nothing's really out of control right. yet. And then I would say about the six years into my addiction, and my addiction went for 13 years. Mm. Probably about the sixth year, um, I started buying them on the streets. I started going to my doctor saying I need more, and he'd give me more, and then he'd give me muscle relaxers, and then I got Xanax. So I had this cocktail right. of every, and I'm a master manipulator. <laughs> yeah, right. I really am. Yeah. When I'm in my addiction, like all of us, yeah. we get what we need. For and sure. We find a way to make that happen, and it just, you know, more and more oxycotton. Yeah. And then, um, you know, then I'm lying about things. And uh, then I'm buying them on the streets. I'm buying them from drug dealers, right? And this goes on for a few more years. And then I start wrecking cars. I start overdosing. I start lying. I start borrowing money from friends. You know, I start going to the check places or the title loans and getting money at 300% interest. Jeez. Um, And uh, it just started getting really bad. I would like to back up a little bit. Yeah. At the age of 25, when all of this was kind of starting, I looked up my real dad. Mm. And I think this is also a pivotal part of all of this emotionally. And I remember going to see him, and he opened the door and pulled a gun. And he pulled the trigger. And it didn't go off. Did he? But he did, did he know it was yes, you? Oh, he, knew he it did. Was me. Yeah. He, he really was going to shoot you. Yeah. He was a drug addict too. Wow. Yeah. So it, uh, I think it really, it, it kind of messed me up a little bit. Well, how, yeah. How could that not? I yeah. mean, cause what's the message he's sending to you? I don't care about you at all. I'd rather yep. you just be dead. That had to have been a heavy, heavy day for you. Yeah. And there's a movie oh. that's supposed to be coming out <clears throat> that it's been working on for three years called a seat for everyone. And my life story is in that. And they have actors oh, wow. that played, um, you know, all the car wrecks and all the overdoses and things that addiction brings and the pain, you know, we, the pain it brings to the families, right? Right. We yeah. don't understand that during the time. Right. But, you know, six, seven years into my addiction, wow. then I start going through those nasty withdrawals. So then I'm calling in sick, yeah. right? Missing work, getting fired, you know, kind of the things that come through it. And my wife the whole time, you know, she's like, well, if it's prescribed, how can you become an addict? You know, mm-hmm. the, the knowledge and the education at the time is yeah. our, our, our primary care physician is giving you this. Yeah. They're tracking Should it. Should be fine. What, what's wrong? Yeah. yeah. You know, and at one point I told her, I says, 
honey, I'm, I think I'm addicted. And she's like, what? I said, I get really, really sick when I don't have them. Mm. You know, I feel like I'm going to die. You can't move. You don't want to do anything, you know? Yeah. And then during this time, you know, we have a couple more kids. Um, and I'm just continuing to make horrible decisions money-wise, mm-hmm. job-wise, drug-wise, right? And my wife's sticking by me. And, you know, doing that. Uh, but I would imagine, is your wife, like, noticing now, though, that, mm-hmm. boy, this is an issue? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 And she's, you know, we, we say normie, but she's... <laughs> <laughs> not a norm, you know what I mean? I know, what you but mean. I think she's yeah. drank once in her life. Yeah, it just not, you know, wasn't her, wasn't her thing. No, it wasn't her thing yeah. at all. And uh, I'm just ab- at this point, I'm just abusing pills. Wow, you know, um, getting money from my mother-in-law, getting money from friends. You know, I'll pay you back. I'll do this and that. And this is when she starts noticing, because mm. at some point, it just all starts to unravel. Right. You know, the family is aware more than we think, and yeah. our kids are aware more than we think. Yep. So, you know, my son, you know, growing up, I think when he was about the age of six or seven, um, you know, this is when things started getting really bad. I was probably eight years into my addiction somewhat, and I remember stealing his, his birthday money. Wow. And then telling him he lost it so I could go buy pills you know it, it okay this is important this happens all the time we hear this a lot in addiction i mean i mean logically you would never do that no ever no when you were doing it at the time and i know i'm asking you to remember back then did you were you like going man i know this is wrong this feels i shouldn't be doing this but you just keep going with it or did you just not even care at all no i'm i i, I okay. so you know when we're stuck in our addiction like it's we don't do not like who we are. Right. But it's like we do not have the ability to not get what we need mm-hmm. because of that fear of withdrawal. Yeah. It's such a fearful thing and it's such a miserable thing yeah. where people would rather die. Yeah. It's horrible yeah. to go through. And, you know, I had got up to the point where I was taking 400 milligrams of Oxycontin a day. Wow. I mean, it just got because I was getting it from everyone. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then. During about the eight-year mark with my son, mm-hmm. I was also going to a methadone clinic. So I was getting methadone because wow. um, I thought that that would help. Yeah. You know? And, you know, during these times, you know, yeah. and, and you might recall, like, we're just not happy with who we are. Mm-hmm. But we have no idea how to stop. Yeah. I wasn't out partying. Like, mine was all taking place within the home of what seemed to be a normal family. Man. And... uh you know, at the eight-year, nine-year mark, you know, we've got, uh, now we have three kids, three but kids. during that time, yeah. um, you know, my son and my daughter, my daughter seemed to always be gone when events were taking place, and, you know, I drove a lot. Hi, I'll be honest, you know, yeah. I, and I put my kids in horrible positions. I put other people on the road in horrible positions, but yeah. I couldn't think logically. Yeah. It just wasn't it. I remember coming home in my truck from getting food and I drove into the driveway into the garage and I all the kids bikes and the neighbor kids bikes were in the garage on the ground and I drove over the top of all of them hmm. you know Man. just not even knowing what just I'm doing a, yeah you know that that far out didn't know wow yeah Man. so things just kept kind of going like that I remember in our Dodge Durango pull you know 
almost running into somebody and swerving off the road. And my daughter was with me and we hit a, hit a boulder and I drove it home and had an excuse, you know, always had good yeah. excuses. Right. Something, somebody else's fault. Someone, yeah. <laughs> you know, someone else's fault. And, uh, God, this just went on for years, just for years, you know? Yeah. So did your, did your kids notice as well? I mean, I, obviously they're more aware than what we know or mm -hmm. what we realize, Yeah. but you know, your kids are younger, I guess I'm assuming at this point. But are, are the older ones notices, the oldest noticing that something's off with dad? My son was affected the most. Okay. So he was like 12, 13, 12 yeah, when, so I got, when I got sober. Yeah, so very aware. What's, yeah. yeah, so he's very aware. And I, was, I wasn't physically abusive, but I was mentally abusive. Mm. I yelled a lot. Mm. Like I made a lot of horrible mistakes, and I own that. And mm -hmm. you know we've, we've done a great job to work through those things. But you have to be open to listen to through their eyes because you know, their reality is their reality and you have to get to a place where, you know, you work through those. And, you know, as my addiction kept going, I kept wrecking cars, overdosing, overdosed on Xanax, went up in the hospital, didn't know how it was for three days and it didn't stop me. Right. And I think the wow. last job, this is about the 10 year mark of my addiction I got off work. I ran call centers during kind of this time okay. off and on with uh -huh. my um, jobs, but I had a tie on. I was out of, out of drugs and I was just like withdrawing and, you know, went into the um, ER of a pioneer hospital two in the morning <clears throat> asking for drug, yeah. you know, my back hurts. Yeah. Cause I could always use that excuse. Yeah. You could pull up anything and you could see and they'd he look, does have a yep, back yep, issue. He's got a back problem. And I'm in there, I'm in the ER, one of the, one of the beds for like an hour. And I just have this weird feeling coming over me. Like, it's just odd. There's no one here. It's weird. Sure enough, uh, undercover DEA agent walks in, in a doctor outfit and handcuffs me to the bed and told me I was arrested for doctor shopping. Because as I'd mentioned, I had probably six or seven doctors I was going to. And then I was filling them at the, all at the same pharmacy. Wow. And I had over 9,000 pills in one year filled. 9,000? Yeah. Did you guys hear that? 9,000 pills. I mean, just that alone, it's amazing you didn't die. Yeah. I mean, that is unbelievable. Yeah. It's. Wow. I just thought I was so good at it. Yeah. I was just going to keep going. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm getting away with it. Everything's working out. You know, insurance. I didn't know about like mm. Doppel or whatnot. That right. Kind of <laughs> come up on. I learned all about that. But yeah, I got got arrested and uh, taken down and booked. A again, and where were you again when they arrested Pioneer you? Pioneer Valley. Okay. Emergency room. Yeah. Where I was born. <laughs> well, yeah. that's ironic, right? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that had to have been a, a shock at the same time. Like, whoa. Yeah, I was just like, oh, like, oh, man, you know, like, yeah. what now? Yeah. And I, you know, I spent probably, you know, it wasn't a long time a day in jail or whatever. I didn't have a big record, so I got let out on my own recognizance or whatnot. Mm -hmm. and, but I remember all these jail cells, there were all this, you know, the plexiglass all open, and they put us all in one. There's like 30 of us in one in our orange jumpsuits and yeah. sandals can't sit down and you're standing there and you know i think it's to get the point across of where yeah. you're at right yeah so i remember getting out and i had to go check in um with the courts and uh you know find out you know i couldn't hire a lawyer didn't have any money and things like that and started getting court dates <clears throat> and during this time i'm still using 
Yeah. I'm still doing my thing, right? Oh, man. And I think for a couple of years, my court thing went on and on and on. I was, you know, I got a different lawyer, a different judge. And, you know, every time I'd show up, I was using no, right? It was, it was just, yeah. I wasn't in a good place. And, uh, how did, how did your wife react to you getting arrested? She was embarrassed. Mm, yeah. But again, I, I'm, I was good at just kind of, turning it around we have three kids yeah she's the only one working at the time paying bills holding the house together while i'm just kind of imploding right right and so we go back and forth and i'm Mm -hmm. still doing what i'm doing and you know 12 years in um my wife and i get in a fight and my my outlet for some reason i don't know why when I was using was always just throw all my crap in the back of a car or whatever. And I'm heading to Wendover. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what the thought process was there, yeah. you know, but, uh, went out <laughs> there and I remember gambling a little bit, <clears throat> got back in my truck. And, uh, of course I'd been using and took a wrong direction and went off the fell asleep at the wheel, went off a of bridge, the Vidoct, and, uh, Truck caught on fire. The airbag went off, broke my sternum, and a guy pulled me out. Saved my life, right? I didn't get a DUI. I just got, like, reckless driving ticket. Wow. Um, And then uh, friends came and got me. And I I do remember driving home, too. Like, I'm in the back seat drinking whiskey the whole time. Like, you know, that was my go-to if I didn't have anything. I I needed to feel numb. Yeah. So went back Jeez. and tried to explain that again, right? Here we go, something else. And so even that, where you almost die, some guy yeah. saved your life, you're you're drinking whiskey right after that on the way home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I'm withdrawing. I didn't have anything. Yeah. So it's like, I don't want to feel, right. you know? I'm like, I'm heading home to just a bunch of craziness, you know? And Man. go home, and, I, you know, it just keeps going. And by this time, you know, over the years, my wife and I just became like roommates, Mm-hmm. We weren't, it wasn't, yeah. it, well, obviously it wasn't a healthy relationship. Right, yeah. You know, there was nothing healthy about it. Mm-hmm. I was just there. I wasn't mentally there for the kids, for her to support her. She was holding everything together and still going back and forth to court. Nothing's happening. <clears throat> and then my 13th year, <clears throat> a year after the truck accident, um, I had gotten. A, uh, so I called and said I needed a refill on my, so I was going to another doctor, a refill of Xanax. Mm. My doctor calls it in and I go to the pharmacy. I had a new prescription and I had one more refill that was sitting there. I don't know how they got through this or how they didn't yeah, notice right. this, but they yeah. gave me 240. So I had 220 bottles of Xanax. You gotta be kidding me. For 10 bucks, like my $5 copay each or whatever. Oh, wow. And if you're in your addiction, you're like, Oh, yeah. You just hit the jackpot. Right? Yeah. My wife and I, relationship was horrible. And I do know, and there's not a lot I remember. There's pieces about this, but it was Mm -hmm. a Thursday. And we were just, I was waiting. I think she was just waiting for me to die. You know, every time I left. I mean, that's the reality of this. She was waiting for a knock on the door. Ulcers. Right. Sick. Just the havoc that it's paid on, you know, played on her and the kids. But I had taken all 240 of them in like a four-day period, which is the the truth. I mean, that that, that I remember taking them all. And we got in a big, big fight. And it was uh, like April 19th of uh, 2009. 
So what do I do? I hop into my car, take off to Wendover again, <laughs> right? I remember feeling sleepy, so I rolled the window down, cranked the music up. I guess I fell asleep at the wheel and rolled the car a bunch of times. I was doing like 120, Jeez. the cruise control on, and Jaws of Life had to come take me out of the car. I remember a glimpse in the, in the uh, ambulance, and then this is where my life changed. Mm. Went to the hospital in West Valley. I mean, not West Valley, sorry, in Tooele, the main hospital there. And uh, I remember being in the ER, and I'm looking down at myself. And I get smacked in the back of the head. <clears throat> and I look over, and there's this figure. And uh, he looks at me, and excuse my language, okay. but I just have to repeat it the way it was no, said to no, me. No, no, please. He say. goes, are you fucking done? I'm looking down, they're cutting my shirt off, and they're putting paddles on me. And I could tell that they were wait it was like a they were waiting for him to to like move forward. It was weird. It was my my you know, my guardian angel. Like waiting for your response yeah. back to the Yeah. He's yeah. like, Are you done? Because you got and this is where and I talk about this a lot, you got three options because I'm exhausted, Travis. <laughs> right? One, if you're done, I'll let you die on the table. Two, if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to kill somebody and you're going to end up in prison. Or the third choice is you're going to live and you're going to change your life and find recovery. And I chose recovery. And uh, Wow, what yeah. an experience. Yeah. I never, when people would talk about out-of-body experience, I'd never yeah. believe them. But I, it, it, it have- changed the direction of my life. So, so you have this experience, out of yeah. out of body experience. You have this conversation with your guardian angel, and then you then you go back into your body. I'm assuming at that point, yeah. right? Yeah. And then when you come to and wake up from this, mm-hmm. do you? I mean, obviously, you did you vividly in that moment remember what you just went through with the your guardian yeah. guardian angel? Yeah. And is that when you're like, okay, yeah, I'm it's done. It's time to get done. Yeah. And then wow, I uh, that's amazing. The next day, which is 4.20, right? <laughs> I, I, I guess I walked out of the hospital without them wanting me to. Mm. And they had my ID, everything. And uh, I remember walking down to this, on that main street in Tooele, to this little um, car dealership and said, I had an accident, whatnot, I need to get home. Can you give me a ride? And they gave me a ride to my house. All my belongings were in the garage. The police were there waiting for me. And my wife had finally hit that part where she's like, you're killing us too. Like, do you, you're going to die. What are you doing? And I didn't say nothing because I was like, she's right. You know, I've done this. I've created this. This is is all me. No one is, you know, made me do this. I just became an addict and I didn't know how to stop. I didn't have the tools. I didn't know what to do. I had suffered a lot of pain as a child Mm -hmm. that I didn't know about. I didn't understand about. Right. Uh, My best friend, Matt, picked me up. Went to his house, stayed there for two weeks. I never had any withdrawals in two weeks. You're I can't kidding. explain it. I had morphine in my body. I had Oxycontin. I had Xanax. And then my wife had been reach, reaching out to treatment centers. I didn't know anything about treatment centers. Um, yeah. You know, I'd gone to detox four or five times at, you know, LDS. And right. They give you a Suboxone and, 
you kind of yeah. go on. Send but, you on your way, yeah. Um, and uh, then I got a meeting set up with my bishop and my state president because I didn't have any funds. You know, right. I, didn't have, I didn't have any money at the time. And, and I remember sitting down um, and, and my state president going, there's nothing I wouldn't do to help you save your soul. You know, and I, and I remember that vividly. And I, uh, after two weeks, it was a waiting period. And once I got accepted into the, into the place I went, um, the ARC, I spent 95 days there. And uh, it changed my life. You know, I, wow. I found my place with God. I found out what spirituality was. Mm -hmm. I worked through my issues. Um, and I remember after my first 30 days, I had a visit with the family. And I remember my two girls holding onto my leg saying, don't go back in, don't go back in. I knew I wasn't done. They're yeah. like, come home. Please come home. Come we home. miss you. Yeah. I'm like, no, uh-uh. I'm going to do this once. I'm going to do it right. And once I heal, then we're going to work on everyone else. So when I got out and sober, uh, my license was suspended for six months for reckless driving again. Yeah. And I just spent a lot of time with my kids. And, uh, you know, but the thing is with recovery is it's not always perfect and it's not supposed to be. Right, yeah. You know, I, I couldn't find a job for six months. I got turned down for 22 jobs because I had a record. I had drug charges. Yeah. It just, it, and so here I am trying to stay sober. I can't provide for my family. Now I'm ready. Yeah. So I'm like having a lot of conversations with God. Like, okay, what now? What, what am I doing? What's next? Yeah. Finally got a job at Delta Airlines making minimum uh, minimum wage and I was extremely happy and showing up and yeah. coach my son's high school basketball team and oh, right on. you know started doing that but I was healing right I yeah. was healed so it went from poor Nancy dealing with this to now Travis is doing well right but they weren't healing yeah they hadn't worked through their issues yeah, so the thing with people in early recovery or whatnot is we can't keep throwing, getting thrown under the bus because it doesn't help our recovery right We've, you know, we've made amends, we've worked through it, but when you haven't healed, it's what you do. Yep. So we, my wife and I did some work together and then we split up for a year or two, mm. filed for divorce. I signed the papers, right? Wow. And then, uh, you know, her mom died and her brother took his own life and it kind of brought us back together. Wow. And then we did some serious work, work with the kids, work with everybody, because I believe that everyone, you know, need to do their own, their own therapy. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And then uh, five years into, into my recovery, got offered a job at a treatment center <laughs> being a, a tech. And they're like, we welcome your record. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah. It, that's we your education. Care. Exactly. And yeah. uh, been doing that ever since. And then a few years ago, got my record expunged. You know, the same lawyer I hired to help me with my legal issues uh -huh. helped me expunge my record wow yeah that's awesome yeah <laughs> and you know i did and I, you know i finally went back to court and uh when i was in treatment and uh they put me on 18 months of ap and p probation and pay a 1200 dollars fine and yeah and, and here we are doing amazing things now it's unbelievable that, that story is incredible travis thank you for sharing that yeah. um and i know there's a lot more to the story but you know i want to get into i mean you go through this process, and I, I love that you and your wife have made it through all of this, and that you you have a relationship with your kids again mm -hmm. that you want, you know, yeah. which is, and I, I'm really happy for your whole family. So shout out to your family there. I'm really proud of you for doing all this, but just grateful that you guys stuck it out. And uh, 
hats off to your wife. Right? Yeah. You said she's a saint. Absolutely. Right. You, you've mentioned a couple things, and, and I know this is kind of a big question, but just, I mean, how has, like, God, a higher power, you know, been a big part of, you know, where you're at right now? Like, if you don't mind sharing that, because I, and I know that's a very personal question, yeah. but I know that that means a lot to you. Well, you know, and, and I also, I, I, you know, what, my relationship with God has gotten a lot I understand more now since I got in recovery because I used to be angry a little bit going, okay, I'm doing the work. I can't get a job. I can't do all this other stuff. And I I had recovery envy from other people that everything seemed to fall into place in the first six months. Right. Right. Mine was like five years in, Mm. I was being guided to a different path and I truly believe it was to help people to get what I have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So my relationship with God today is, you know what? I talk a lot. I say the serenity prayer a lot. It's very, yeah. uh, it takes care of any anxiety or any sure. yeah. you know, frustrations I have. And I trust him. Yeah. Like, you know, I know I'm in a position now because of God, you know, and uh, our, just our relation, my relationship with him is very personal. Yeah. Um, but it's, I wouldn't be here without him. Yeah. Like he gave me, I don't want to say second chance. It's like second, 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 <laughs> right. right? I mean, we have a million second yeah, chances, right? Yeah. To do <laughs> the right thing. And yeah. I believe God puts people and things and places or whatever into my life that just need, um, guidance. And, uh, I, I truly believe that he's continuing to make me, you know, the best husband, the best father, and the best role model that I can be in the recovery industry as well. Yeah. So I just never take that for granted. Love it. You know, as you're saying this to me, you know, one of the things I tell my clients all the time, addiction is the wake-up call to your greatness. You know, I mean, it's kind of like when you got slapped in the head. Hey, what are you doing here? What are you going to do? What are you choosing? Yeah. It's time to choose. Hello. It's time to really go which direction you're going to go in your life. But look what you're doing now. You're doing all these great things. You're helping so many people. And it really did. It woke you up to how great you really are, yeah. Travis. You're such a great person. Um, you're, you're now, you do you do interventions, right? And talk about what that is yeah. and, and why did you go that direction? Just curious, curious on that. So, you know, in the industry, we've always, I mean, everything we do is kind of an intervention. Right. Right? Yeah. That first call you get <laughs> yeah. from the family that's having, yeah. like we once were in, that panic that they're going to use, lose a loved one. Yeah. So I've been doing those for years. And in 2020, when uh, the earthquake hit here, yeah. the pandemic hit, my wife's at home, the kids are home. Uh, I had some time on my hands and I said, you know what? I'm finally going to put pieces in place. I'm going to get my business license. I'm going to create a website mm-hmm. and I'm going to create living recovery interventions. Um, not for my main focus right now, but right. to have have that to be able to be you know licensed insured certified because my true passion is going into a family crisis and making everybody feel good yeah like you know offering the loved one that needs the help the treatment but then also offering the families their direction on recovery because if they don't do the work you know we i caused a lot of destruction Right. In our family's life. And it was not anyone's fault except me and my disease. Yeah. You know, I created yeah. it. I, I own yeah, that. For sure. But I want to come in and help others know that, you know, what that person's done is not your fault. You're not a bad parent. Right. You're not a bad, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is just the disease is taken over there. Yeah. I love that because, again, what you've been through was your education. Yeah. And you can sit down with these families and they're going to listen to you because of what you've been through. Yeah. Like, well, he's been through this. 
So let's listen to Travis, and I'm sure that plays a huge part. And again, that's also what fuels your passion in helping other people. You know, you're also um, one of the business development directors at Akasha Recovery. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, I'm a partner there. Um, we're just a six bed reserva- uh, res detox, full oh, detox okay. in Cardiff, California, and just gotcha. like 20 minutes from San Diego by the ocean. Um, oh, wow. And we're just doing really good substance abuse. Yeah. You know, a little co occurring, but not a true mental health program. Oh, gotcha. More okay. substance abuse. Love it. And a lot of, uh, you know, Six beds is just so great because there's a lot of one-on-one time. There's a yeah. lot of time for people to heal mm-hmm. and uh, kind of just get, you know, get that passion back in life. Like I did in treatment. Yeah. I learned to laugh. I always tell them when I see them, <laughs> if you don't cry and if you don't yell and you don't laugh when you're in treatment, you're not doing it right. Yeah. You should be all doing all those. All and my goal is for you to do it one time and not ever have to do it again. Yeah. Do it right. Yeah, do it right. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's a good philosophy. Yeah, it's, you know, like here we're always saying, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not putting in the work. Yeah. You know, if this feels like day camp to you, you're doing it wrong. Absolutely. You know, you should be really uncomfortable. But I love that part. You know, we should also laugh. You know, we've had a few good laughs already. Yeah. So, you, you know, you have a, a, a nice following on social media. You do this thing called Car Talk with Travis. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that is and and what what is kind of like maybe your mission behind that. Yeah. So I created that about five years ago, and it was my way of just trying to think outside the box at the time. Like, how can I connect with people who are struggling? Yeah. You know, uh, it doesn't cost any money, Yeah, you know, to create my, my Facebook page. And sure, yeah. I started doing videos, <clears throat> excuse me, with friends that I know that are in, <clears throat> in recovery. Yeah. And I just try to keep it at five minutes or less. Yeah. And... It, for the for the first year, I talked about my story and my struggles and right. you know, what I'm going through. But then it's like, okay, I don't have anything else really to talk about, right? <laughs> right, I got to branch out a little bit. <laughs> so I started asking friends because they started liking it and watching it. And I'm like, would you want to be on it? And let's just tell your story. Like, do a quick, because there's somebody out there. The goal is to always reach just one person at least. Yeah, right. To go, I get this guy. Yep. I've been there. I'm hurting. I need to reach out. Yeah. Wherever it is to get that help. Um, and to connect going, I'm not the only one that feels like this. Yeah. Because I remember when I went into treatment, I was like, there's no one like me. Yeah. I'm the only one. I'm special. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I go in and with 25 other people, I'm like, you're like, what? You guys are just like me. <laughs> right. You struggle too. <laughs> what? Yeah. And we become family. Yeah. You know? And so the goal is to just get people healing and enjoying life and excelling. And I mean, we're living in a time right now that's ran by social media and fear. Yeah. And you throw in addiction during that, you know, I got sober in 09 when it wasn't right. Like how it is now. Yeah. And you years ago, years ago, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, this is a trying times, you know, in this world and we need more people like you, Travis, who are doing things like that, that are really trying to put a positive thing out there because we need more of that. There's not enough of it. You know, there's, you know, it's interesting when you look at social media and again, and people are like, oh, social media, we got to talk about that again. But there is so much on there that isn't good. And it's just a fact, guys. And that's why I love what you're doing, because I think we need more of that, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many people struggling, even those that are putting on a face that everything's fine. Oh, yeah. So I love that you're doing that. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And my daughter shared her story, uh, a little bit of it, you know, uh-huh. she had some relationship issues and, right. you know, dating 
you know, someone who's a, maybe a narcissist and not mm-hmm. treating her the best, mm. you know, no, learning what her, yeah. you know, worthiness is. And that's, I always, I always try to tell people when I do them, like, you know, I, I let you know you're worthy, you're worth it. Yeah. You deserve it. Yeah. I mean, those are the three things that I always want people to imply because yeah. I did a lot of, you know, mirror work yeah. on who, cause I didn't love myself. Yeah. Wow. You know? No, that's. I think that's important, and that's that's neat that your daughter is willing to talk about that yeah. stuff. You know, um, you've already given some amazing advice, but if there's someone listening to you right now, Travis, who is down and out, they're in a dark place, they've isolated, they just don't know who to talk to, or they don't even think that they can get past whatever they're going through, what would you tell them right now? You know what? Don't give up and pick up the phone. Hmm. I mean, that's the hardest thing to do is pick up the phone. Yeah. There's a lot of people, you know, give me a call. Yeah. You know, you can go to my car talk page or living, go to mm-hmm. living recovery interventions. You can message me. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'll do what I can to help you. I love you know, it. and one of those things, if I can't help you, I'll at least give you direction on who can. Yeah. I think that's important. No, I love that. You know, we're all just, we're all humans and we're going through, you know, I suffer from depression, you know, and I have my good days. I have my bad days. Yeah. You know, but uh, today with my mindset change, I have more good days and bad days. Yeah. No, that's great. But it just takes time. Great advice. So if someone did want to reach out to you, um, give us your website and maybe is that the best way to find you is through your website yeah. and it goes to everything? Yeah. 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 Living Recovery Interventions, um, dot com, And there's okay. a contact me. has great. my phone number on it. And then also, you know, there's Akasha Recovery, A-K-A-S-H-A, recovery.com. And then, of course, my Car Talk with Travis page on Facebook. So Yeah, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, I love it's it. It's good stuff. I'm blessed to be here with you. Yeah. this is It's amazing to me. Yeah. I love it. I know. It's like pinch yourself, right? Like we get to, we get to talk about these things. Yeah. We're sitting here. We've we've made it through things. We, we get to be an influence in people's lives, which is awesome. And, you know, my, it's one you of those know? things, too, I've changed. Um, you know, uh, Dave Cox is a good friend of mine. He was one of my mm-hmm. therapists, and he's okay if I say his name. But I remember just tweaking where I got to, he's like, no, 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 no. You get to get to, yeah. you get to. Yeah. So I use that more and more now. <laughs> I get to show up. I get to do this. It's yeah. not, I got to. Yeah. So little tweaks yeah. like that. Yeah. I get really to help. talk to Travis today. This is cool. I love it. <laughs> I love it. This is awesome. Well, Hey, I can't thank you enough, Travis, for taking time out of your busy schedule and to come share your story with us. And, you know, I, I know that my listeners are going to be very grateful for, for your vulnerability and just your your will to to change yourself and and work on not only just you but the family dynamic through yeah. all this and then again really impressed with all the good things you're trying to do to help other people so thank you so much yeah absolutely thanks for having me and you know it's one of those things where it's like you know I don't plan to ever be perfect I always yeah. be under construction yeah so that I mean every day yes. is just a lesson and learn and oh oh don't do that it's okay to do that yeah so so I'm gonna end with one last question for you what do you love most about you that I get to show up every day for my family. Mm. Mic drop. There you go. Thank yeah. you. That was beautiful. Yeah. You're awesome, Travis. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your time. Guys, I told you this was going to be another amazing guest, amazing story. Travis Whitaker, guys. Please reach out to him. Check out his website. Check out Car Talk. Um, you know, if you are struggling, if you know someone who's struggling with addiction, please share this episode with them because sometimes we, we don't know how to go talk to people. And this is such a, and I've found this out, Travis, this is awesome. Share this, just send him the link to this episode. 
knowing that they're struggling with addiction and to say, will you please just listen to this? And that has opened up so many doors for these people who think, oh, thanks for sending that to me. I decided to get help. So send this one, okay? And then call Travis, please reach out to him, uh, give him a thanks, give him, you know, write a nice note to him and do whatever you can. But let's, uh, let's celebrate Travis and all the good that he's doing in the world. And I love you guys. And Travis, again, thanks for your time. Absolutely, Todd. Thank you for Until having me. Until next time.